Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. Got a great show for you tonight. And yes, we actually made it live on the air this week. Uh, my apologies for those of you that tuned in last week. Uh, unfortunately, as I was just telling the guys uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, they're going to be coming on here in just a moment. We had uh, a power issue last week. In fact, uh, a couple of transformers with some of the bad weather we've had uh, were blown in the area and uh, knocked us out of power. So we weren't able to uh, broadcast the show last week. Um, but not to worry, the uh, gentlemen that were scheduled last week, Pete Buchanan, uh, James Kyle, and Buck Myers, uh, are going to be on next Thursday, which is June 29th. Uh, they were able to clear their schedules and come back on. Uh, we will not have a Coach's Corner panel next week, however, um, but uh, the guys will be coming on, and uh, we'll continue that conversation that we were going to have uh, last Thursday. But thank you for joining us this week. Uh, the sun's shining. The rain has seemed to have gone through, so... Uh, everything looks like it's going to be uh, smooth sailing here for at least uh, uh, the next few hours. We'll see what happens. But again, thank you and welcome to the show. We've got a great show tonight. Um, Coach's Corner is going to be coming on here. We've got two uh, great professionals, uh, John Decker and uh, Brandon Stewksbury, of course. Both have been on the show a few times now uh, over the last year or so. And um, a great couple of guests. We're going to have uh, an interesting discussion. And a little bit later on the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by a good friend of mine and special guest. He hasn't been on the show for a little while, Bob Foreman. Uh, he's the former director of fitness at Congressional Country Club and currently manages a, a medical center, a fitness center in uh, Gastonia, North Carolina. And he's, uh, of course, a certified golf fitness instructor. And uh, we'll talk with him. He hasn't been on the show for a little while, but uh, he reached out to me recently and uh, indicated uh, an interest in coming back on. So we're going to get caught up with him in the second half. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, um, obviously you found me here, uh, but go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just type Golf Talk Live up in the search key, and that will take you to the main page. The show is live from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, or 7 to 9 for those of you on the East Coast. And uh, for those of you that maybe can't tune into the live broadcast, just go to that link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live. And if you scroll down to the On Demand section, uh, you'll be able to listen to all of the previously aired uh, shows, including tonight. They're all auto-recorded. Uh, you can also find me at iTunes.com and Stitcher.com. Just go into the podcast section, and again, type in Golf Talk Live, and you can listen uh, through those uh, platforms as well if uh, you're somebody that uses either Stitcher.com or iTunes.com. Uh, feel free to speak with myself or any of the guests during the live broadcast. Uh, you can call in at area code 646-716-4667, uh, or you're welcome to email me personally any questions or comments about the show at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And of course, I update on social media, uh, Facebook, and of course, uh, my Twitter handle, Ted and Buck, CEO, CEO is in capital letters. And thank you once again uh, for all of the recent followers. Uh, okay, so as I mentioned, we've got a great Coach's Corner panel. 
and I'm going to bring the guys on here in just a second, but let me tell you a little bit about uh, each of them. John Decker, uh, as I said, has been on the show before, uh, both as a guest and has recently been coming on as uh, a guest panelist, and he's the author of the book Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, uh, motivational speaker for uh, Celebrate Sports Tour Foundation, and formerly the director of instruction for the uh, New Albany Country Club up in New Albany, Ohio, as well as the head instructor for the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, Florida. Uh, joining him tonight, of course, is Brandon Stukesbury, also been on as a guest and uh, a regular panelist. Uh, he's the Director of Instruction at the prestigious Idle Hour uh, Club in Macon, Georgia. He's been ranked in Golf Digest Best in State Instructor Rankings for Georgia and was honored uh, in 2015 in the Central Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year. Specialized in competitive player development and enjoys teaching players of all levels from beginner uh, right up to uh, the PGA Tour. Uh, he's been a member of the PGA as a certified instructor for 11 years. Uh, Golf Digest ranked him Best Young Teacher. Uh, and the Golf Range Association of America also ranked him as a Top 50 Growth of the Game Teacher Professional. And he's uh, also received an honorable mention from U.S. Kids Top 50. Been a five-time PGA Award winner and best-selling author of The Wedge Book. And coming out this fall at some point, uh, I'm sure he'll let us know when, uh, is uh, a follow-up book called The Putter Book. Uh, I've got the Wedge book. It's a great book. Highly recommend you go and get that. We'll get uh, Brandon to let us know uh, where you can get your hot little hands on that, and we'll get an update as to when the uh, new book is coming out here sometime in the fall. So, uh, guys, without uh, further ado, let me welcome uh, both John Decker and, and Brandon. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ted. Ted, always a pleasure, buddy. Thank you. You're quite welcome. I appreciate it, guys. Um, all right, as I was starting to say on the, uh, before we came on live on the air uh, here on Coach's Corner, one of the things I want to talk about tonight uh, is really three areas. We're going to talk about from a professional golfer standpoint, and, uh, and then we're going to talk, uh, dive a little bit into junior golf, and then we're going to talk about some of our older golfers, uh, maybe 60 and above uh, is, is a good range. So I want to talk about, and John, I'm going to go with you first, if you don't mind, uh, just to, to start things a little bit differently. Uh, as far as our pro golfers, of course, we just uh, came off uh, a U.S. Open. And what I want to ask uh, you guys is this. From a professional standpoint, a professional player, do they prepare, in your opinion, um, or any that maybe that you've worked with, for a major championship like a U.S. Open differently than they would a regular event? Uh, what's your thoughts there, John? Well, Ted, thanks for having me on the show. Um, that's a that's a great question. Um, you, you, the mindset that you would like to have uh, any player have is the fact that they treat every shot the same, they they treat every tournament the same, uh, and they don't put too much pressure on themselves. Because uh, I think that if they're playing their entire season, and especially if they're playing well, uh, you don't want them to then all of a sudden try to force the issue. And, and it's just like in, in, in the game of life. You can't force things to happen. You have to kind of let things happen. So that, that's the as – a, as a coach, that's what you would, you would ideally like to see. But the reality of the situation is, is they do tend to put more emphasis on, on the, uh, the majors. And the reason I think – um, for that, as you see it all the time, for, for example, the, the Masters, they're always they're going there, they're flying in there, uh, you know, several weeks beforehand to get extra practice rounds in. So in reality, yes, they probably do put more emphasis in their practice time, um, you know, in, in trying to get, uh, you know, especially because majors are, are switched around except for the Masters on different venues. So they're trying to 
uh, you know, figure out the, the golf course. They're trying to talk to other caddies. They're trying to, you know, talk to other players who maybe have more experience. So there is probably, because of the fact that the venues are changing around, except for the Masters, uh, in reality, yeah. yes, they are spending more time. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Uh, Brandon, what about your thoughts? I'm sure you, you probably agree a lot with, with what John has just uh, mentioned, but uh, I know you've worked with some, some high-caliber players as well. Um, what's some of the dialogue that you have with them? When they're, when they're coming up to a, a big event, if, if they've uh, been fortunate enough to get into something like a U.S. Open or even a Masters, uh, what's the mindset of, of some of our, our better players out there, our, our pro golfers? Well, the, the, mind, the mindset's an interesting topic. I mean, I, I totally agree with what John just said. I think in a, in a perfect world, you would, you would want to treat it the same as everything else, and it's actually a really common phenomenon out there for people to, to get over-analytical or over-hyped or however you want to say it, you know, about a major championship or major whatever, whether that's the conference championship in college or – the Masters or the U.S. Open or whatever, people, you know, kind of tend to get worked up over it, and it ends up having a negative effect on their performance. So I would say I would say they probably should not do it. Um, mm-hmm. I might go a little bit different direction than what John went and, and maybe better define what they're doing um, because there's no question right. they spend more time, right? You hear about it all the time, and, and you hear about people, fly, like John said, flying in or spending extra days. Yeah, but there's a couple of reasons I think that they that they do that, uh, and they're I'm not sure they're they're really all that related to extra. Well, let me just tell you what they are, and then we'll go from there. Because the venues okay. change, John brings up a good point. Because the venues change, there's not nearly as much information that the caddies and the players have as they do on other golf courses. Right. For example, right. you know the, the if you play, you know the 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 Jacks tournament at Mirfield, Right. It's been there for 50 right. years or however long it's been there. There are books upon books upon books, and the caddies know every putt, they know every twist, every turn, every carry yardage, all that stuff. And so they go into an event like that armed with a lot more information than they might go into, especially a U.S. Open where the facility isn't, you know, it's on a rotation that happens every, you know, six or eight or nine years or whatever it is, and you never know what the USGA yep. is going to do. You know, you have no clue what they're going to do, right? And, and in modern day, they're starting right. to use some new stuff, right? So you saw it at Chambers Bay. You saw it at Aaron Hills. I mean, nobody's got any information on any of those golf courses. And so all that stuff has to be done. So that's the first thing I would say that they're doing. The second I would say is that major championships traditionally – have much tougher conditions than what you find week in and week out. And so they spend yes. extra time there gaining experience to prepare them for the extra tough condition, right? So Augusta National, for example, has arguably the most challenging greens on the rotation all year. It's not that those guys maybe necessarily are spending extra time there because it's a major but more because the conditions will be more challenging, so therefore they need extra time to prepare for what those conditions will be. And I think it's important to right. separate those two, right? Because one one indicates a mental state of getting yourself worked up because it's a major. The other is quite the yeah. opposite. It's doing your due diligence to prepare 
because your game needs the extra preparation. And so I think you get a good mix of both. Certainly there are guys out there that over-prepare. That's a term I'll put in quotes, uh, you know, and get themselves worked up, you know, for majors. And I think there are other guys that just do their due diligence. You know, they want to make sure they spend enough time there to prepare themselves for the tough conditions they're going to play in. Yeah, great, uh, great points, uh, both of you. And, and you're right, uh, guys. You know, if you look at a player like uh, Phil Mickelson, as example, um, and I know others do it as well, but, you know, uh, he's obviously because of who he is, he's followed around a lot. Um, and he quite often, uh, and, you know, uh, some of the other players I know have done it as well, uh, as you said, will fly in uh, sometimes weeks ahead of time of an event uh, that they're um, scheduled to play in. So, uh, and, and I remember a few years back, I think it was actually the year that Mickelson won. I'm not sure if it was the first Masters or, or the second, but um, that he literally went in a, a couple of weeks ahead of time and pretty much played every day, just to, as you said, yeah. uh, Brandon, uh, to sort of get familiar with the with the greens and, and, and the conditions and things like that. So uh, obviously, the, as you said, they're, they're doing their due diligence. So let's flip this over a little bit. So we get a, a general idea of, of how the pros – um, certainly a little bit of what they're thinking in the process that they're doing and, and what they're, the reason why they are maybe putting a little bit more or certainly appears like they're putting more emphasis. So in the case of our club golfers or our high handicappers that maybe uh, it's certainly not a major for them, but they've got their club uh, championship or maybe a corporate event coming up, um, what do they know, uh, I guess, from the professionals that the average player doesn't? What are some things that maybe um, they can take um, maybe note of that the professionals are doing that might help them to prepare for their event. Um, John, I'll let you go first, and then Brandon again. Well, I, I think the the first thing is is they need to um, obviously warm up properly. Uh, I mean that that is one thing that if the average golfer were because I've I've been privileged to to be uh, you know out on the tour with tour player. I've been been privileged to to be at, at majors and. And the the one thing that I know that, that all those players do is they warm up and they spend hours before their round, unless they have a, you know, a 7.30 tee time, they spend hours before their round properly getting warmed up. Now, I realize that the average golfer can't do that, but at a bare minimum, they need to put in 30 to 45 minutes of warming up, putting, spending time on the putting green, chipping, hitting some bunker shots. That would be the, the first thing that I would I would say. The second thing is, quite frankly, is their their diet during the round. I mean, if you're playing in the member mm-hmm. guests and you're drinking a mixed drink every three holes, then, if, then you just need to go have a good time <laughs> and, and play golf and forget about, you know, shooting a good score and forget about winning and just go out and have a good time. So, that you know, that would be something that, that I, would, I would really – if you're really there to compete and play well and play at your best, you know, staying away from the alcohol, trying to eat properly – uh, you know, trying to not, you know, I mean, I realize you're there to have a, it's a social event, and I know the night before, you know, you may have a Calcutta or you may have whatever going on, uh, a dance or whatever, but just being able to be properly rested. I mean, those are those are some common sense things, but I see it every year, um, you know, at, at club events. I've, I've been around member guests for, you know, 30 years, and I've seen all kinds of stuff. So I realize that that's, those are the, the type of things that I would, Try to shy away from if you're expecting to play play good golf. If you're if you're looking what as far as your golf swing goes, 
I would recommend, like I've always said, that the, the, the students that do the best are the ones that take their lessons early in the spring uh, or the winter. And then when they start getting into the summer, they take less lessons, maybe more playing lessons, and they try to gear themselves. You want to kind of peak towards your major. So if your major, if your quote-unquote major is the member guest, you want to peak towards that. You don't want to take a lesson the day before the member guest. You need to be taking your lessons like two weeks before the member guest so that you have time to kind of work on whatever your instructor is working with you on, and you can kind of play yourself into it. And then the last thing I would say is play golf. Don't, don't, don't just take a bunch of lessons and don't just spend a bunch of time on the driving range. Get out and play golf because the more I play golf, usually the better I, my, my scores are in the long haul. If I play golf, you know, once or twice a month, I don't play that well. So I can stand on the driving range and hit the ball and feel like my game is top notch, but you've got to be playing. So those would be some things that I would recommend for the average golfer. Yeah, and and that's, uh, again, some great points, John. Brandon, um, I know you um, can probably piggyback a little bit on what John just mentioned here, but that's a great point. You know, a, a lot of, and I'm sure we've all experienced it, some of our club members uh, and club golfers that, you know, want to come out the week before and suddenly want a lesson because their, their game isn't, isn't uh, uh, firmed up the way they want it to be, and they're expecting, you know, miracles. So, so Brennan, uh, what are some suggestions that you would have for some of our, our club or ha- higher handicap golfers out there uh, that maybe have a corporate outing uh, or maybe their, their club uh, championship is coming up sometime uh, a little bit later on in the year? Um, what do you suggest that uh, that maybe they do that they can take some pointers uh, was the word I was looking for, for from uh, from the pros. Well, you know our, our industry, like it or not, right or wrong, our unfortunately our industry is far too often exactly what John's talking about. They come to they come to my tee and they want to fix right. I'm going to play Pebble yeah. Beach in the in the pro am you know. Uh, I'm hitting my driver poor, fix me. Uh, you know, I've got member guests coming up next week. Uh, I've been putting terrible all year, fix me. Give me a pointer, give me a tip. We all know it doesn't work that way. To be honest with you, a lot of them know that it doesn't work that way either. Um, mm-hmm. But they're hoping to glean any and everything they possibly can to maybe give them an edge. Uh, to a tour player, that means flying in two weeks early and putting – you know, a hundred a hundred hours of preparation in to our average amateur. That means taking a one hour golf lesson the day before. Uh, I get that. I understand that difference. Um, you know, I, look. Here, here's what I would say: that, that if 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 I could maybe reword your question and then I'll answer it. Right? If, if there was one sure. thing I would tell you that the tour players do that the amateurs could could very easily do. Benefit with, you know, one round of golf, right? So so what is that, four and a half hours mm-hmm. that they would most benefit from? Try to prepare and make a game plan for what you're going to do, right? Yep. And so the one thing that the mm-hmm. amateur doesn't understand, and, and I say amateur, I mean, I, you know, high-level college players don't get it. Uh, you know, USGA, you know, competitive adults don't get it. A professional doesn't make a swing at a golf ball that that swing wasn't planned weeks, months, or sometimes even years before they make that swing. 
There is yeah. no in-the-moment decision-making for the most part, right? It's different if you're one shot, right. you know, if you're one shot behind with two to play, you know, or something like that. But as a general rule, I'll bet if you picked up the phone and called Dustin Johnson right now and asked him what he hits on number 12 at Augusta, he would tell you on day one, I hit this club, I'm aiming right here, and I'm trying to land it right there. And if he would tell you the same thing for the second shot on 13 and the same shot for the tee shot on one and for every other golf course he plays all throughout the year. Right? There are very, yep. very few decisions made in the heat of the moment at the professional level because those guys have planned out their round from the time they put the first ball in the air until the time they put the last ball in the hole. Now, I will give you that it's more challenging for an amateur to do that because they don't have the ball control that a professional has, right? And so right. It's, it's fine for Dustin Johnson to stand on the first tee and say, I'm going to hit it down the left side of the fairway, and Mr. Smith might shank it into the woods on the right. Okay, that was a little unexpected, right? So now what's he do? But my point is, is they walk up to the hole and they go, oh, well, it's uh, par four, I better hit driver. And that's the yeah. extent of their preparation, right? And so watch those guys and understand from them that they know what they're doing before they ever walk up to it. And try to go play a practice round, right? Try to go to that course if you can and play with your buddies a week or two before and figure out what you need to hit on the 13th tee over the water on the par three so that you know going in and you can say, well, I'm hitting it really badly today. I might need to take an extra club instead of trying to figure that out in the heat of the moment. Prepare so that you don't have to rely on your judgment in the heat of the moment under pressure situations. That's what they can learn from the pros. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And, and you're exactly right. You know, the professionals, uh, I would even take it a little bit further. Uh, you know, obviously mishaps uh, can happen. Not that they make a lot of bad shots, but they certainly do make some bad shots. Or circumstances arise that maybe uh, they weren't expecting. Um, but they always have some kind of a game plan. If they were planning on, as you said, on hole number 12, or hole number 13, or whatever the case may be, to, to, to hit a certain club, um, and maybe it doesn't get the result or a, a, a circumstance that was maybe beyond their control, maybe a gust of wind came up and, and blew it offline a little bit. Um, they already know and have several different options in their mind um, planned ahead of time, as you said, to prepare for that, whereas you said that the, the amateurs just don't. The amateurs don't even have the first shot in their mind, and... God help them if, as you said, if he shanks it in the woods, what does Mr. Smith do now? They haven't got a clue. And you're right. I think preparing going ahead of time, not just going out in the range hitting balls, I mean, that certainly will give them a, a, a gauge, if you will, for how they're hitting it that day. And same thing with the putting green and, and other areas of the short game. But the truth of the matter is they coming into, as you both pointed out, coming into an important round for them, they need to do more preparation. Uh, not just ball striking skills and working on some of the, the other areas of the game, but putting a strategic plan together, how they want to play that round in their mind and give themselves some options. Like you said, you know, if they come up to a hole that maybe they're not sure if they can clear that, that uh, water or they can't clear a certain obstacle, they may have to take an extra club or they may have to consider another option. Instead of pulling the driver out of the bag, uh, maybe they're going to hit a hybrid off the tee or something that they know they're going to be able to keep it in play uh, so have some options. I agree. That's that's some great uh, points that you guys both made. Uh, I want to switch gears a little bit, and uh, let's 
uh, scale it back a little bit to junior golf, uh, a couple of things. Um, a question that I've been asked before, um, and that is, you know, should we teach boys and girls the same? And most answers would probably be yes. You know, everybody should be, be taught the same. Um, I want to know what you guys think and why you feel the way you do or don't feel the way you do. Um, Brent, take a deep breath because I know you just finished up. I'm going to let you go first and then John. Well, you know I don't have a problem talking, so I'll, I'll, I'll probably be okay. Um, <laughs> here's here's what I would say, okay? I, I, I would tell you that I don't care if you're a, a, a girl, a boy, a man, a woman, an older person, a younger person, tall, short, fat, thin. Everybody needs to be taught in the way that makes the most sense to them. And I, I spent right. some time working for a, a great teacher in Jim McLean early in my career. And people always ask me, you know, well, what did you learn working for a guy like that? And I'll tell you, I've, I've told the story a hundred times. I'll briefly tell it here. The most impressive thing I ever saw Jim McLean do is I spent a day with him when he had a large school. And so he had five to seven people somewhere in that neighborhood that were in front of him for four to six hours in a day. And I simply, my job mm-hmm. was to follow him and, you know, really make sure he had water in his bottle to drink. And when he reached his arm back, I handed him the club he wanted. So my job wasn't very, you know, detailed, but I did get to listen to him teach. And the most impressive thing I ever saw was he morphed into whoever he needed to be for the person that was mm-hmm. in front of him in that moment. If he needed to be soft right. and encouraging, he did so. If he needed to be firm and demanding, he did so. If he needed to be quiet and say very little, he did so. If he needed to talk a lot, he did so. And it was incredible watching him move from person to person to person to person, completely changing how he communicated based on what they needed. And so do I think we need to teach boys and girls differently? Yes, but not because they're girls and boys, because they're, own, they're their own individual person, right? And so it, it, a yeah. lot of times the, 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 the girls tend to like softer instruction. I know that's a large generalization, right? But, but that tends to be the case. Uh, boys tend to be a little scatterbrained, right? And you, you kind of have to keep them a little more right. engaged. At least that's the way it is here in the South. Um, you know, so yep. <laughs> maybe you can find some patterns that way. But I don't think I would go as far as saying, yes, you should teach girls different, and yes, you should teach boys different. I think you have to teach people different. And, and so I think it's important yeah, I, that you find out what that person needs, no matter their age, experience level, so forth and so on, and then deliver the information that way. Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a great point that you make uh, and a great example that you use with, with Jim McLean. Um, you know, I like, I like the fact, and that is important. I think you, you do as an instructor, I don't care how long you've been in the business, I think you have to be, a bit, be able to adapt to the, the circumstances that are in front of you, um, the individual that's in front of you. And I think Unfortunately, and, and you kind of alluded a little bit, um, not specifically to this point, but uh, about the industry in general, I think that one of the problems, and John, I'm going to let you jump in here real quick in a second, but, um, but I want to say this before, before I lose my train, train of thought, um, but I think one of the problems that 
has gone on for a long, long time. And it's not, you know, I don't think it was done intentionally or, or certainly wasn't done in a malicious way or anything, but I think they tried to put everybody sort of in the same box. And I think they're starting to, to understand now that everybody is different. Not everybody learns the same way. Not everybody receives the information the same way. And I think really that's what you're trying to say, Brandon, uh, in, 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 in your, your approach. And I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, we can't be looking at, at a player and treating them differently because of their gender and just assume because there are certainly some young ladies, uh, you know, up and comers on the Symmetra tour that uh, certainly like a more aggressive uh, approach in their instruction and others that, as you said, maybe need a, a softer touch. So we have to look at the individual. Um, John, I want to get your thoughts on here. I'm sure you probably uh, agree with, uh, with some of what Brandon's saying, but uh, uh, I'd like for you to add some thoughts as well. I'd love to. I think this is a great question. Junior golf is probably one of my favorite things to teach, and I've done thousands and thousands and thousands of camps in my lifetime uh, and private lessons as well. And when I work with uh, juniors, I present the information. Typically, you're doing a junior camp. You might have six to ten people in front of you, and I'll present the information as a group you know, the fundamentals of the grip and the ball position and all the things for the posture all the way. So that stuff's not going to change. The ball position, whether you're male or female, you're not going to change. The grip's not going to change. Where you start dealing, uh, and then I do a lot of drills. I have a lot of, I try to create power with dynamic drills. I'm trying to create a lot of core rotation. I'm trying to create a lot of dynamic motion. And so I have found uh, with a lot of the girls that I'm teaching now, they're quite frankly, a lot of them are more talented than the boys I'm teaching, um, you know, at the younger oh, ages, at the six, seven, eight-year-olds. And because girls develop faster, uh, you know, and so I'll get right. to an eight-year-old girl, an eight-year-old boy, and a lot of times the girls, uh, ha- I look at them and I go, you know, you, you have, they, they have, they, they catch on a little faster, especially when I do a lot of balance drills with them, when I do a lot of drills where I'm trying to create a dynamic motion, a lot of these girls have dance backgrounds, and I found, like, wow, they can do these core movements a little easier than the boys. Um, when it comes to yeah. individuals, I, you know, I, I basically uh, feel like that I read people real well. My background was, I, you know, at Grand Cypress, I was there for 20 years, and I was, had the pleasure of working with Fred Griffin, who was my director, who's a top 100 teacher, and also Phil Rogers, who's a top 100 teacher, who was a tour player and won six tour events. And I watch both of them right. teach, and, and Phil Rogers is like a drill sergeant. He is like a drill sergeant. He loves you to death, but he believes in getting his point across, and he pushes people. Fred's a lot more laid back. So I saw all those styles, and then I had a chance to work with other instructors. And what I tried to do is I tried to take the best qualities of each one of those instructors and incorporate it into my own delivery. And then I tried to take my mm-hmm. own strengths. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I tried to take my own strengths, uh, whether it's telling a story, whether it's telling a joke, whether it's being firm, whether it's pushing them, whether it's making them go and sit. And, you know, I've, I'll just tell a kid if he's acting up, to go sit down. I don't put up with any, any yep. BS when I'm out there. I mean, I'm pretty much, you're not <laughs> going to disrupt this class because we, 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 these parents are paying for this. So it's important, I think, to, as a teacher to be able to, to, like Brandon says, to be able to look at each individual student and figure out, what makes them tick? What am I going to say to this kid that's going to light a fire under him or inspire him or make him love the game or her love the game? So that's, that's kind of how – that's my approach as far as 
dealing with the different personalities that you, you that you see during with juniors. Yeah, and, and I like that uh, uh, great answer as well, uh, John. I, I agree in, in both cases. I think that you know for a long time, um, you know we all understand there are differences between. Uh, some advantages and some disadvantages going both ways. Uh, as you pointed out, John, um, you know, a lot of the young ladies coming up, especially at, uh, at, at certain ages, uh, are far more flexible, have much better balance than, than many of the boys that, that we might be teaching. Um, and, you know, they may not necessarily have uh, the same physical strength uh, in some cases, um, but they have other advantages in other ways. So, you know, I, I think we have to look at the individual and I, this sort of leads into the next question, and John, I'm going to let you jump back in here uh, on sure. this one here. And, and this really goes to um, a problem that we've all, I'm sure, have heard at some point or maybe even experienced a, a little bit. But the question is this, is there too much pressure on some of the junior golfers? And I'm talking about, um, in, in, I'll give you a couple of scenarios. Um, the more skilled junior golfer that maybe there is uh, some potential there uh, to maybe carry it to the next level, whether it be collegiate uh, or, or even beyond. And then maybe uh, those uh, golfers that maybe uh, junior golfers that maybe aren't that uh, as skilled at this point, are we putting too much pressure and are some of the expectations unrealistic in their performance? And I want you to uh, tackle this guys from both the parents' perspective or in other words of the parents you know, maybe pushing their, their children sometimes too hard and not letting it, uh, un, you know, develop naturally. And then also even from the coaches or instructors uh, side, uh, is there times, and I, I know you both kind of answered a little bit uh, in, your, in your previous uh, answer to the question, but um, are the, uh, from a coaching standpoint or a teach professional standpoint, um, do we need to be mindful of that as well? John, I'll let you go, and then Brandon, I want you to, to uh, follow up. Well, this is a great question. First of all, I'll start out by saying that I'm not a parent. I do not have children. So it's a lot easier for me to say these things um, and um, because I, I don't have that perspective. If I had children, I might, I might have a different perspective. Uh, I love children. Um, here's my recommendation to the parents, okay, and I'll try to put myself in a parent, parental uh, situ situation here is if you're dropping your son or daughter off to take a lesson, I think that it's, it would be, it's nice to spend maybe five minutes at the end of the lesson watching the lessons. But I do not believe that the parents need to sit there and watch the entire lesson as it goes on because I think it puts too much pressure on a lot of kids. Unless they're really, yep. you, know, uh, you know, even if they're a better player, I think because I remember playing, you know, I, I used to love it when my parents would come watch me play sports. But when you're getting instruction, um, it's almost yeah. you don't want to feel you don't want to feel like because you know if someone doesn't do it right, I'm going to say you know you didn't do it right. But then you don't need the parent to chime in, and it happens every time. Anytime uh, someone else corrects yeah. a child, the parent wants to jump in and 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 reinforce it. And I'm like, you just repeated the exact same thing I said. I don't need that. We don't need an echo. So I would recommend for most parents, drop your child off. Let them do the lesson. Then come in at the very last part and then talk to the instructor, get the feedback, you know, what did we work on, you know, those types of things. That's much better. I don't like it when the parent drops them off, sits in their car, waits till they come out, and then does that because then that shows a lack of interest. If I was a kid, I would want right. to have my parents there for a little bit of the time. 
Um, but yeah. you know, as far as as far as the instructor instruction goes, and the and the pressure, um, I try to be completely honest with with every single uh, child I work with. I every single child I work with, I try to uh, be like Bob Bertella is like I want to be an enlarger. I want to give that child a sense that if he or she really works on their game, the sky's the limit. They could get a scholarship to college. They could play on the high school golf team. They might even one day be a professional golfer. I'd, I always try to, to put that out there to, to kids because I have had kids who um, who you would look at them as a 9- or 10-year-old and go, there's no way that this kid would ever, you know, is going to be that great of a player. And they turn out to be one of the best players on the high school golf team because they they you know they're they're persistent and they work at it. So I always try to uh, to to be an enlarger. I never if a if a kid came to me and tells tells me you know I want my dream is to play on the PGA Tour. I say you're the kind of student I like to work with, and let's get let's start working now. But here's what you're going to have to do, and then you just you just keep pushing them from there. So I I think um, I I think from those perspectives that's kind of the way I look at it and and um again it's easy for me to say because I'm not a parent right and and I'm the same as you John I don't have obviously don't have children either so there's there's a little bit uh of a difficulty uh on that aspect uh, from the parental side of, of relating so I can appreciate that uh but but you handled it very well um Brandon what about you um Again, from parental, I think sometimes, you know, we get, uh, and I hate to use this term, but helicopter parent, as John was sort of alluding to, you know, where they're hovering over the child and they're stepping in and getting involved, or a lot of times maybe they're uh, interfering in the coach's or instructor's uh, lesson by, you know, by trying to, um, you know, maybe push their child a little bit harder because they're wanting to see faster results. So they're kind of interfering in, in, in the, the, uh, the transition between instructor and, and student. And then also, um, you know, what, what should and shouldn't, the, in your opinion, the, the instructors be doing? Um, you know, what should they be looking for? What signs should they be looking for uh, from their student to know when it's okay to you know, to step on the throttle a little bit more and, and, and move, uh, you know, progressively down the, the, the track or when they need to scale it back a little bit because maybe they're putting too much pressure on that child. So um, sort of the same question, but maybe a, a little bit different approach. Yeah, this this is a tough one. I, I really struggle with this one. I, I am both a parent as well as an instructor who teaches camps and, and golfers or, you know, kids spread across all kinds of different levels. Um the the challenge I think is in trying to teach kids in the wrong that, that are there for a different reason than maybe what the parent wants them to be there for or what you think they they are there for. Um, you know, up until a kid is sixteen or eighteen years old, the parent pretty much does everything for them. And what I mean for that is the parent. The parent usually arranges a lesson or a camp. The parent pays for it. The parent drives them. The parent buys them the necessary equipment or sunscreen or hat or, you know, whatever. And and far too often I see kids that are on my lesson tee or in a camp we're running or whatever because the parent wants them to get better and the kid yes. has absolutely no 
desire at all to be better. The kid is there either to just have fun or they're really not interested in the game, but the parent wants them to get up and get outside because they're playing too many video games. You know, um, yeah. rarely do I see the kid that John's talking about that comes into me and says, I want to play the PGA Tour. Now, you get yeah. that a lot when they're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, but I don't, I don't get that from a lot of kids. And so I, I think – I think you have to be very, very careful as an instructor to not try to do something for the kid that the kid doesn't want. Because right. inevitably what that leads to is the kid at some point being picked up by the parent, and when the parent asks them the very first question that every single parent always asks the kid when they pick them up, no matter what they've done, is, did you have fun? Eventually, that question, mm-hmm. the answer to that question is going to be a no or a hesitation or a kind of so-so answer. And at that point, it's over. Right. Um, and, and, and so I, I think I think it's okay to push. Uh, you know, I played a lot of sports as a kid. I don't ever remember a basketball coach being nice in practice. Ever. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I, and I'm not saying they were mean. You know, but but I mean, nobody sat me down and patted me on the head and said it'll be okay, son. Nobody did that, right? And so, yes, times have changed. But I mean, if you want to be a champion golfer or a champion mm-hmm. athlete, champions are born from both fire and water. And so, I, I think if they really want to do that, at some point, they have to be pushed, whether they push themselves or you push them, again, I don't mean being mean, that's not what I mean, you know, but, but at some point they have to be, they have to be pushed to get better. Um, and I just think you have to be real careful to read those signs to make sure that the kid is there for the reason the parent is telling you the kid is there, because that doesn't right. always add up. Um, the last thing I'll say is that as a parent, um, I, I am total, totally agree with John. Uh, except I might even take away the last five minutes. Um, I don't think you are to be involved at all. Uh, I think you are to hire the right coach, no matter whether it's physical training in John's case or, you know, golf training or basketball or football. I think you need to hire the right coach, and I think you need to get out of the way Um, because I think that has to be a very different relationship between the coach Mm -hmm. and the parent. The parent is there to encourage and tell the kid that they love them and that they're proud of them, and the coach is there to teach them the sport. And I right. think it is really yep. challenging when those two try to mix, right? When, when the parent tries to teach, and oftentimes when the coach tries to, try, tries to be the parent. It's a little, it works a little bit better that way than it does the other way. But I totally agree with John. Get out of the way. Drop them off, go to the grocery store, go work out, go watch a movie, whatever you need to do. I'll see you in the parking lot when they're done. You can ask them if they had fun. The answer is going to be yes, and they'll come back next week, right? You know, and if you want to talk to me privately about what we're doing, you know, I have no problem with that. If the parent wants to inquire, well, what are you teaching my son or daughter? I'm happy to have that conversation, 
right? But that conversation is either over a mm-hmm. phone or it's in my office away from the tea so that I can explain to you what we're doing. And when your son or daughter is, is in our program, they're there to learn, right? And, and so anyway, I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of the parent staying out of the way. That might come off as rude. It might come off as boastful or pushy or whatever, but I, I just don't think that works well when the parent is involved. I totally agree with John on that one. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, I would concur with that as well. I, I've, uh, and I'm sure we've all maybe heard some, uh, you know, some horror stories, if you will, and I hate to use that terminology, but, you know, the parents, you know, think that their child is going to be the next, you know, uh, major player, and there's just a, a, a tremendous amount of pressure. And I think that we as instructors, coaches, what have you, I think have a responsibility sometimes not to uh, – and the reason why I say horror stories, I mean, I've literally talked to um, kids who really want nothing to do with golf. At one time, you know, they wanted to uh, – you know, they had aspirations to, to play, but the, the pressure – that was put upon them was so great that it actually turned them off the sport. Um, and it wasn't because the coach uh, had done anything wrong. It was because the parents were pushing them at, at such a level. And I think where the, the coach needs to, to be respectful to the child and say, look, this is not for me. You know, I, I can't work in the, in this circumstance. Cause I think sometimes even the coaches, you know, they don't want to lose business. They, they want the, you know, to have the opportunity to, to teach somebody, especially if they've got talent. But I think if they see a scenario, it, it's a very uh, awkward situation because you don't want to discourage the kid or push them away. But at the same time, you can see the deck of cards about to unfold at some point down the road. Uh, if, if things aren't handled in a certain way, as, as both of you just pointed out, um, great answers, by the way, guys, both of you. Uh, I, I like that. You know, and, and Ted, the reason why Ted, I wanted Ted, to... I might... Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, Ted. Go let ahead. me just add one quick thing here. It, I don't see it as often, nearly as often as the other one, but parents can be too encouraging, too. Um, and, sure. and so every now and then you get a parent that takes that to the wrong to the wrong level. I mean, I have a kid just yesterday. Uh, we just had our, our Georgia junior, the state junior amateur here in Georgia, the highest, you know, ranking tournament for an amateur junior and we have a kid at the club who's a really good player probably going to play division one collegiate athlete you know collegiate athletics at some point um he's got a couple years left so he's a sophomore played really good golf you know he's averaging 73 and some change 74 in 36 hole or more stroke play event so he's playing some really good golf and he's at the he's at the georgia junior and i'm getting texts from his from his dad and he plays horribly. I mean, he you know he he, he makes a, a triple bogey, follows it up with a double bogey, hits one in the bushes, gets mad, gets you know, and and, and he brings him he brings him to the learning center, to, you know, after the tournament to to, to practice, right? As if that's going to fix it. Um, and and, and, he, and the kids telling me about it, and the dad keeps interrupting, saying, "Oh, it's it's okay, son. It's okay. It was a tough day." It was, and I finally just looked at the dad, who I know very well, and I said, "You know, it's not okay. He just played horribly. Right? Like he played far worse than his ability level should have allowed him to play. Don't brush this off as if it's okay, and he just had a bad day on a bad golf course or on a tough golf course under tough conditions. Your right. kid sucked it up." 
He played terrible. <laughs> and, you're, and, and, and the kid needs to own that, right? Because there's just as much yeah. of a lesson in overcoming that as there is overcoming other pieces of adversity. And so I think as a parent, if parents are listening out there, I'll go one step farther and say your job is to encourage, but don't take that too far either. Yeah, and I think I think the child, and what a lot of people, I think this is not just the child, but I think we, we're all guilty of this, uh, both experiencing it in our own lives sometimes, uh, especially early on as, as we develop. Um, you know, you have to learn how to fail as well as learning how to win because, you know, I, I think a lot of parents are afraid, especially in this day and age, you know, afraid of their child failing at something. We all can't be good at everything, and we learn the, the most valuable life lessons through our failures, not through our, our wins and our accomplishments, but it's through the failures in life because it, 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 it gets into, into the core of our soul, if you will. And I think you're exactly right, Brandon. I think a lot of parents uh, try to, to brush that over. And I don't mean that you have to beat up on the kid and, and make them feel worse than they always do, but I think you have to be honest with them and saying, look, yeah, you know, you, you suck today and it, it wasn't good and here are some of the things. And then, you know, talk about it uh, with the child. Let the child, you know, sort of open up and, and, and talk about um, why they think they didn't play well and not just, you know, I shot a bogey or triple here or what have you. They need to own it, as you said. And I think, unfortunately, you're right. I think that sometimes parents get a little bit too much, um, you know, the other way and can be a little bit too encouraging. And then it's not realistic because then when – you know, little Johnny or what have you goes through that same scenario again, you know, next year, um, they're not equipped to handle it. And they're, you know, they're looking for that affirmation, even though, you know, they stunk again next year. So, um, you know, you have to be encouraging. You're right, Brandon, to a point, but I think you also have to be honest and realistic. And I think the child has an opportunity to learn from the, you know, mistakes they may have made that day out in the course. Um, guys, we're, I've got to move this along a little bit because we're getting close to our, our time here in a little bit. So I want to move into the older golfers. And I'm going to, I'm going to single out the 60-plus golfers because we get quite a few of those tuning into the show as well. And uh, there's really two questions I want to ask. There's actually three, but I'm going to roll two of them together. Um, and, John, I'm going to jump back to you here real quick. Uh, okay. Are they spending, and I'm talking about our senior golfers, are they spending too much time trying to perfect at this stage of their life? And, and I'm not trying to you know, insinuate that, that, that it's over. Um, but they're trying to perfect their swing and not really spending enough time where it counts like the short game. So what specifically can some of our senior golfers out there do to better their scores? And then, Brandon, I'll let you uh, uh, jump in as well. Well, number one is they have to check their ego at the door and they have to move up and tease. That's one of the biggest mistakes I see. Uh, You know, I'm 50. And, uh, I'm, you know, the fact mm-hmm. that we're now terming 60-year-olds as old golfers scares me because that means I'm getting closer to it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, the way I look at it is is I have no – I've always played the back tees, and I have no problem now moving up a set of tees. Uh, I have no problem at all. And, you know, I've, talk, I've had this discussion with my father. And, um, you know, you want to go out and enjoy the game. And, and the bottom line is you've earned that right. That's the way you have to look at it. You've earned it. I mean, it's just like if somebody came up to me and wanted to give me a pay raise, uh, I would take it. You know, give by moving up, that's one of the, the first ways. Because the most common thing I hear from the senior golfer, and really all golfers, is I don't hit it far enough. I hear that all the time. So moving up will help right. in, those, in that regard. 
Um, you know, and then I would say really um, kind of, you know, working on your game from about 60 yards in. Because if you don't have that part of your game, uh, you're not going to be getting to the par fours a lot into. So you're going to need – or the, and the par fives and three. So you're going to need that 60-yard game and then, you know, spending more time on that. And most people, when they, they – they, they're playing the wrong tees. They think, well, I need to hit the ball farther. So they work on their driver all the time when really they could solve the problem by moving up in tees and then working on, if they still can't get it there, working on their short game. And whenever you work on your short game, it, it really helps your full swing, but it also helps your scoring. It's the best way, the pitching, I've always said the best way to work on your game is working on your pitching because you, your scoring will improve, but it has the same sequence as the full swing. So, um, that, you know, I think those are two simple things that, that would, would help. And the last thing I'd say from an equipment standpoint is check with your pro. Make sure, you know, that you have the right shafts in your in, – you know, it may need, you may need to go to a, to a weaker shaft or graphite, um, you know, or put an extra hybrid in there. Uh, to help you out with your your scoring overall. Those would be some recommendations I would make. Yeah, well said. And just on a side note, John, I'm uh, 53, going to be 54 next year, so I'm going to hit that 60 benchmark uh, before you do, so I'll let you know how it is when, <laughs> when I get up there. Um, All right. Uh, Brandon, I know, <laughs> Brandon, I know that you, um, you know, have a lot of experience in the short game. Uh, you know, I've read your, your uh the wedge book and uh, you got a lot of great tips in there. Um, but, but this is, you know, Clint Wright, who, who's been on the show many, many times and Brandon, I know you've been on, I think John, you were on as well with him. Uh, yeah. He really does well in the short game. And he, he said something very interesting here a couple of weeks ago. He was on the show. And we, we talked a, a lot about the short game and he, he got into a discussion and I want you to sort of pick up on this a little bit and, and maybe share some thoughts, but you know, he talked about really benchmarking your, your, your putter. Uh, and, and what he, was meaning by that. I don't know if you had a chance to hear that, but you know, he talked about, he said a lot of things that people, uh, a lot of our golfers out there struggle with is, is hitting things as an example, like lag putting. Um, they don't know how far they lag it. So in other words, um, they don't know how far they to, you know, putt 20 feet or 30 feet. So when they're putting, they're trying to guess at it all the time. And what he suggested for a lot of golfers out there, and I think this is a super idea, is, you know, as an example, you know, get into your posture, get into your, your, your stance nut for your putt, and take the club head back to about uh, your right toe on your right foot for the right-handed golfers out there, and hit the putt, and then go and pace it off so you know how far it went, and maybe do two or three examples of that and kind of get an average of it. Um, and, and I think that's a fantastic idea because I don't know how many times I see – you know, whether it be in a pro-am or, or just at any facility, and I see a lot of amateurs out there, and they're working on their three-foot putts, which is good, um, but they have no idea. And, and how many times we've seen some of these amateurs out there that get 30, 40, 50 yards away from the hole that they have no idea how hard they need to swing that putter in order to get it up that even close to the hole. So talk a little bit about, from your standpoint, what you recommend some of our older golfers do uh, and what your thoughts on what I just said. Well, I, you know, I, I, I don't think older golfers are to do that. I think all golfers are to do that. Um, I, you know, I, I think, I think speed control and putting is probably one of those things that nobody ever thinks about uh, that 
no great player on earth ever went without. Um, and, and so I, I totally agree with John. I, actually, the, que- the answer to your original question, what should they do, is probably go see John, uh, you know, and, and figure out how to move again, right? But, but in the absence of that obvious answer. Um, I like I, that answer. I, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree, right? I think the short game is a place where they can get a lot of gain. If for no other reason than this, it doesn't require the movement that the full swing requires. As you age, your body breaks down. As you spend a career sitting in a chair, typing or bent over a, a, a dentist chair or you know whatever you've done that has made all your muscles and tendons and you know and tight and don't, don't move very well because we don't stretch and we don't eat right and we don't work out. All that jazz. Short game is the one area where you put the least amount of pressure on all those parts of your body that aren't as mobile or stable as they used to be. And so you can get far more gain as a senior golfer out of time spent improving in that area than you ever can trying to hit it farther. Because at the end of the day, hitting it farther only is going to add up to about 10 or 15 yards anyway, which means that instead of hitting a 5-iron, you're swinging a 6-iron, and you still only hit 25% of your greens in regulation. And so I don't think they quite understand the metrics when it comes to what getting better or maintaining a level of play, you know, what's involved in that. Uh, I, I agree with John. I think they play tees that are too far back, so they think they need to hit it farther. A lot of them really don't need to hit it farther. Um, they might need to hit it a little straighter or a little better. When I say better, I mean more solidly. Uh, but but they don't really right. need to hit it farther. They just play in the wrong tee. Let me tell you something. For all you people that are listening out there, you're not supposed to hit three wood into par fours. The game wasn't no. designed to be played that way, right? You're supposed to have a seven iron in your hand. Maybe a five iron on one or two long ones, but you're not supposed to be ripping three wood into par fours. That's just not how it's supposed to be. So if I got three wood in my hand on a par four, of course I think I need to hit it farther. But that's not the problem, right? And so I I, I, I right. do I absolutely agree. I think you got to check your ego. I think you got to play the right tees. There is a, a fantastic chart that exists out there. I don't know who designed it or who developed it, but they should be given a medal. Uh, that talks about how far you should play the golf course based on how far you carry your driver. So, for example, if you mm-hmm. carry your driver, you know, 180 yards or 200 yards, then you should be playing a golf course that has this length, right? I think that's a fantastic chart that should be shouted from the rooftops by every piece of <laughs> golf media on this planet. So that we can start to we can start to you know educate folks on how far they're really supposed to be playing, and then I agree. Go go be a great putter. Go learn how to be a good putter, how to be a good chipper, and how to be a good wedge player. Because you don't have to have 25 year old movement patterns to be able to be good at those things. Mm-hmm. You can be a fantastic putter yep. if you can just move your shoulders, right? And, and so. I mean, everybody needs to heed that advice because everybody's got a putt. But I think it's even more 
important and apparent to someone who is aging because their return on investment will be far greater there than it will be in making full swings, most full swing motions, which quite frankly, a lot of times their body can't support anyway. Yeah, and, and, and that's a that's a great point. And you guys both actually answered uh, the other question I had was, uh, but we're out of time, was does distance really matter? And I think really the answer to that is, as you both indicated, is to move up. The reason why I wanted to mention that and why I wanted to give a little shout-out to Clint was, you know, he, he raised a very valid point, and I'm, I'm going to close on this, and I'm going to give each of you a real quick uh, opportunity before I, I uh, uh, jump into the next segment of the show um, to, because uh, I know, uh, John, you're still out there uh, promoting your book, and, and um, Brandon, I know you've got a new book coming out here a little bit, so I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about that uh, when, when we can uh, get our hot little hands on that one. But... Um, the reason why I said that is, you know, a lot of people don't understand, as Clint pointed out, and I know all of you uh, agree, is they don't understand the percentages of their game. In other words, the percentage of hitting the long ball uh, and number of strokes in most rounds is very low. Uh, it represents maybe uh, a dozen to 14 shots. Uh, and I'm talking about driver off the tee and, and that sort of thing. Putting represents on average, about 43% of your game. Uh, and then if you add in uh, short game wedge and things like that, it's probably at least 60 to 65, if not more, percent of the shots that you play in any round. I don't care what you score. And it just kind of baffles the mind that the majority of our higher handicap golfers are spending their time practicing the area of their game that they're lucky if 15% of their round is going to accomplish anything, and yet the 60 or 70% or whatever, you know, the rest of the game, as John, you pointed out, um, the the short game, they're not spending hardly any time on that. So to sort of sum up what you both said, get out there and work on the short game. Work from, you know, even 75 yards and in. Uh, Work on your chipping. Work on your putting for sure. Uh, step off your leg putts. You know, don't sit there and just try to aim for the cup all the time. Get on one side, you know, on a, on a uh, practice green and just putt it along and then pace it off. Look at where, where the club head swung back to and do two or three shots that same uh, momentum and that same distance and pace them off. And so that you have an idea that when you get up around a putt and you pace it off and it, it's in that range, you know how far to take back the, the putter head. And a lot of people don't. Uh, if you watch most of the amateurs out there, they haven't got a clue. Um, so get out there and work on some of these things that we've talked about here tonight on, on the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, I, I guarantee, especially some of our senior golfers out there, forget about trying to get 10, 15, 20 extra yards with your driver. Move up a, a tee box. Work on, as, as Brandon mentioned, work on hitting it maybe more solidly if you're having some issues there. Uh, but forget about trying to, to get 10 or 15 or, or going out and spending two, $300 uh, on another driver, make sure the equipment you have is, is properly fitted for you, that, that not just the, the length and the lie, but to make sure that you're not playing shafts um, that are obsolete for your game right now. You may have to make some changes. Um, guys, thank you, as always, for, for coming on. Very interesting discussion tonight. Uh, John, I know you're still uh, got your uh, on, on the road there, here and there, for the book. Um, if somebody is interested in getting a copy of your book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, uh, where can they go to get a copy? The book is available on uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble websites, but I would suggest that you go to my website. It's johndeckergolf.com, and I spell my first name J-O-N, so it's 
JohnDeckerGolf.com. I have uh, you can order the book right there off the website. Uh, I've got videos, uh, 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 instructional videos on there as well, and my book tour schedule. And uh, my email address, if you want to contact me, uh, again, the name of the book is Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. Thanks for having me on the show, Ted. And Brooke, a great job. Perfect. And, Brandon, I know you've got the wedge book out there. Obviously, folks want to get that. But uh, when can we expect the putter book? When's that going to be uh, wrapped up? Yeah, it's a little too late to, to give you a definitive date. I'm shooting for October okay. 1. Um, we'll we'll okay. do what I hope. But, you know, um, the, the the wedge book and, and, and you know, the, it's, it's available on my web page as well as Amazon, similar to John. Uh, my, my web address is uh, uh, bsgolf.com would be the easiest way to get there. And don't anybody laugh before I hear any. Uh, at the URL, but uh, bsgolf.com is the best way to get it. I've done some videos recently with uh, a couple of guys that are good friends of mine um, through a company called Athletic Motion Golf uh, that go along with the wedge book, and so make sure and check out their website, just athleticmotiongolf.com, for some uh, for some live video stuff of, of, of the wedge book as well. Um, but thanks so much for having me on the show. John, I can't wait to read your book. Um, and, 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 you know, always always a pleasure being on with you. I enjoyed it. Great job, Brandon. Thank you very much. Well, guys, uh, as always, thank you for, as I said uh, uh, to you earlier on, uh, thank you for giving of your time. I appreciate it. I know it's not always easy, and uh, sometimes uh, uh, schedules conflict, but uh, I appreciate you guys giving of your time. Great discussion tonight. You guys, as always, did a fantastic job here on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, love having you guys on board, and I look forward to the next time. And, and Brandon, uh, keep us updated on, um, as we get closer when the book uh, is available, and uh, we'll let the folks know here. But uh, have a great weekend, guys. Uh, thank you, as always, and I look forward to next time. Thanks, Thanks you. Ted. All right. And that was my very spe- uh, special guest on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, John Decker and Brandon Stukesbury, and I, my apologies uh, to my next guest, Bob Foreman. Uh, I think I just cut him off, so Bob, if you're listening, uh, dial back in, and I promise I'll get you on. But in the meantime, while I'm waiting for him to do that, uh, I'm going to uh, just to read out some information, and actually, here he is. Let me just, uh, let me just put him in queue here, and then uh, I'll read out the information. My apologies, uh, Bob. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, my very special guest, uh, on the second half of the show, uh, he's been on the show uh, a number of times in the past. hasn't been here for a little while, and he reached out recently, and uh, uh, we communicated, and I invited him back. Uh, he's the uh, former director of fitness at uh, Congressional uh, Country Club and currently manages a medical fitness uh, center in uh, Gastonia, North Carolina. Uh, he's a certified golf fitness instructor through the Titleist Performance Institute and a certified personal trainer through the American uh, College of Sports Medicine and certified in applied functional science uh, through the Gray Institute. Uh, Brings uh, to the table a master's degree in exercise uh, physiology and 35 years plus uh, working in the fitness field and definitely has a passion for the game of golf. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about how you can get a hold of Bob, uh, but let me uh, me bring him back on here uh, before I cut him off, uh, my very special guest, Bob Foreman. Welcome back, Bob. Yeah, thanks. I'm thanks doing for very well. My, not a problem. My apologies for cutting you off. I was uh, 
just closing off with the other two gentlemen, and I accidentally uh, cut you as well, so my apologies, but thanks for calling right back in. Um, as I was just telling everybody, of course, Bob, I know you've been on uh, many, many times in the past, and I know you've been really uh, you know, busy in, in your own journey uh, through, uh, through the fitness and, and other things and that, and we haven't had you on the show for a while, so when you had reached out recently, I thought, I want to get Bob back on here. I always enjoyed our conversations. Um, so catch us up. What's, what's been happening a little bit, and then we'll get into some questions. Well, let's see. Currently, I'm uh, down here in Gastonia, North Carolina, as you mentioned, uh, managing a medical fitness center for a hospital, uh, Caramont Health. And uh, it's good to be back in the medical fitness field, uh, start a little golf fitness academy out of the fitness center. So that's going well, doing some workshops in the area here and working with the, the various uh, golfers. Um, was up at uh, Congressional for a couple of years running their fitness program, and we did a lot in terms of uh, establishing and growing the golf fitness component. We even took the stuff that we do with golfers, and we started to work with the tennis players as well because a lot of this, uh, you know, the muscle imbalance, muscle deficiencies, swing mechanics are mm -hmm. very similar between golf and tennis, so... We started building that program too, but it's been good. We're we're doing good. Yeah, and and you know one of the things that we've always, um, you know, I've always enjoyed talking about uh, Bob with you on the show is, you know, really about what a lot of the the folks out there, you know, want to improve their game. They're always looking, you know, at at the equipment, thinking, well, if I just get that new driver, or if I just uh, maybe get a new set of clubs with a different shaft, and that that's going to fix everything. And a lot of times it can be zeroed back to um, their fitness level or lack of. And, you know, you've always uh, done a great job on the show about talking about some of the areas that, and we're going to talk about that here in a second, but I want to just uh, let everybody know if you're interested in uh, learning a little bit more about Bob, uh, we're not going to get into that part of it right here on the show because we've got some, some great questions that he's going to answer for us here. Um, but go to his website, uh, golffitcarolina.com. Uh, he's got a lot of great articles and videos on there that are related to golf fitness. So after the show, um, I want you to stick around and listen to uh, Bob right now. But after the show, I want you to go and visit his website, www.golffitcarolina.com. And it's G-O-L-F-I-T carolina.com. And you can also reach out to him in his email as bob at golffitcarolina.com as well. Uh, he's also been featured on Golf Week and uh, has made some regular appearances on radio and, and podcasts as well. And as I mentioned, he's been on my show a number of times in the past. Uh, he's been featured uh, in the Maryland and Carolina's Golf Association magazines as well. So he's been all over the map, uh, lots of great information. So let's get right into um, some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, Bob, since I've got you here to, to kind of pick your brains, if you will. Um, let's talk about the golf posture. Um, you know, unlike a lot of sports, you know, you always hear about the athletic position, you know, have that athletic. Um, but obviously as, as golfers get older particularly, um, they lose a lot of uh, that posture. It starts to get slumped over, as maybe you might have heard in the earlier segment, and uh, a lot of the, the muscles that uh, uh, traditionally people rely on uh, to get in that good golf posture start to weaken or um, get stiff or tighten or whatever. So first off, talk about the process um, of evaluation that you do um, to sort of assessment, if you will, and then what you try to encourage uh, some of the folks that you're working with, especially those that are playing golf, uh, what they can do to improve uh, that posture. 
Well, yeah, I mean, for the most part, golf posture is kind of a visual. You know, you just kind of take a look at the golfer when he's uh, standing at a dress over the ball, and, and you can tell right away whether he is in one of three postures. And you have an end posture, which is the posture we all want to try to get, and that's with a straight spine up and down from the head down to the tailbone. And then you have, you know, what you alluded to, the C posture, or the bowing of the spine, the curvature of the spine, so that the golfer kind of looks like a C when you look at him from the side. And that's becoming more prevalent today. Uh, it used to be an older golfer's disease, but starting to see a lot of younger golfers in the C posture. And it's related to the fact that we're sitting, you know, rounded shoulder in front of computers. We're on cell phones a lot. So, we kind of get into this, like I say, rounded shoulder posture, and the body adapts to that over a period of time, and that just not just won't bode well for your golf swing at all. And then the third posture, uh, which is prevalent more in women and in younger golfers, is what's called an S posture, and that's kind of cate- categorized by a, a swaying of the lower back uh, and. That uh, really, that swaying of the lower back will just tear up the lower back over a period of time. So out of the three, we really want to try to strive for a nice straight spine. Uh, So, you know, in the case of the C posture, which is becoming kind of an epidemic in golf, uh, it's characterized, it's correlated to uh, a tightness of the muscles across the front part of the chest and shoulders and a weakness uh, in the muscles in the upper back because, again, you know, the shoulders are kind of pulled forward. The uh, shoulder blades, the scapula kind of rise up a little bit on the body. And, uh, you know, not only will that not bode well for your golf swing because you just can't rotate around a curved spine as as well as you can a straight spine. So it's going to impact that number one power move, and you know, and that's making a good shoulder turn in the golf swing. Uh, but it will also set you up for like things like shoulder impingement and stuff. So uh, three areas that, uh, you know, that you definitely want to take a look at and determine which posture you are and then, uh, you know, take steps to correct uh, those postures. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I know obviously we don't have the, the benefit of the, the visual aspect, and that's why uh, I want them to go to your website uh, after the show and, and take a look uh, in more detail uh, some of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, there's some, as I said, some great articles and great video there as well that they can get a little bit more in depth. Um, but Bob, talk about just you know let, let's uh, let's talk about the seat posture a little bit more. And what are some things that people? I mean, you know, we we all, as you mentioned, it's not just the older uh, folks out there that are experiencing, even some of the younger ones. And, and you hit it right on the head. Uh, in this day and age, you know, a lot of people are sitting behind their computer um, or at a, at a desk and they're kind of slumped over uh, in their workstation. And as you said, the, the chest muscles kind of tighten up and then the, the back or, or up in the shoulder area kind of loosen up and it, gets that, it creates that sort of a C posture. So is there some exercise or are there some things that, that the folks can do out there um, that, that, you know, they're not going to have to spend necessarily a lot of time, um, you know, in the gym or something maybe they can do at home, um, but maybe they can do to sort of reverse that. Is there, is there something they can do? No, oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, they can correct that fairly quickly if they you know, are pretty aggressive at doing the exercises. 
the first is, you know, you always got to stretch out the tightness. So we need to stretch out the muscles across the front, the chest, and the shoulders. So a real simple and a real effective stretch that you can do is a door frame stretch. Just kind of find yourself in mm-hmm. door frame, stand in the door frame, and put your arms up on the door frame so that your upper arms are parallel to the floor and your forearm is up against the, the frame itself. And then what you want to do is just slowly lean into the door frame till you feel a gentle stretch across the chest and shoulder area. And then just hold that for about 15 seconds or so. Ease back off the stretch and then do that, you know, two more times uh, so that, uh, again, you're isolating, you know, the flexibility, stretching out those muscles across the chest and shoulder. Opposing that, you know, when you get into that rounded shoulder posture, you elongate the muscles in the upper back. So you need to strengthen those muscles to kind of pull everything back to the midline of the the back, the spine. So a good exercise is to get yourself a piece of uh, exercise tubing, you know, the elastic tubing with Mm -hmm. handles on each side, wrap it around an anchor point, something solid that uh, is immovable, you know, and then grab each handle, grab each handle, step back so that you have a little bit of tension on the bands and put your arms out in front with your palms down and arms outstretched. And then what you want to do is just pull back on the tubing, keeping the elbows up and away from the body as opposed to close to the body. When you bring the elbows up and away, you're isolating those muscles in the upper back known as the rhomboids. And if you do that back and forth in a nice, slow, steady fashion, as you pull back, you should feel those shoulder blades squeeze together. And that, you know, when you do that, you know you're isolating those muscle groups. So you do about 15 to 20 reps of those. Uh, And, again, if you perform those two exercises on a pretty regular basis, you can kind of work on that posture and, and correct that posture. Yeah, and let me let me just add real quick here. Um, you know, Bob, I, I know that you're a, a a certified fitness instructor, so I know that you've you've uh, got everything um, 100%. But let me just sort of add a little disclaimer in here. You know, obviously uh, everybody's different, and I want to make sure that the folks that are listening here, um, they really should, you know, connect with somebody like yourself, uh, and and we're going to tell them again how they can do that. Uh, to really make sure that they're doing these exercises properly, number one, um, but also making sure that they're doing them uh, in the appropriate way because I think sometimes people try to rush, and I'm sure you've seen this, Bob, um, where the, you know, you talked about the the rubber band and that with the handles. Um, most of the sporting goods stores uh, carry something like that. They have different strengths, uh, different tensions and that. You want to make sure, just like you would with weights, you want to make sure that you're not uh, you want something to get, offer a little bit of resistance, but you also uh, want to make sure that you're not doing something that's, uh, you know, a little bit too difficult for you. So start off gradual and kind of work up a little bit because you're not looking to bulk up. You're not looking to do that. You're looking to stretch those areas um, and, and loosen other areas in order to, to uh, correct that, that, uh, that posture, um, um, uh, you know, in imperfection, if you will. So I want to make sure that yeah. folks listen to that, that don't just go out and start – you know what I'm saying? I, I want to make sure that they listen 
to what you're saying and not just sort of go out. So, um, Bob, I know that uh, on your um, website, golffitcarolina.com, they can go and see a lot of these different things that we're going to be talking about uh, on there, make sure that they're uh, viewing it correctly, but also make sure that they reach out to somebody that's certified like yourself uh, in this area so they're not doing things that, that could potentially uh, injure them. Uh, go ahead, you were going to add something? Yeah, no, uh, you know, what that that's 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 correct and and I think, you know, the the key there also is, you know, uh when you do find somebody that is certified, you know, uh make sure that they do put you through some sort of physical screen so that you, they can identify where your muscle deficiencies are and your weaknesses and imbalances because that and everybody's got them. I mean, I've tested hundreds of golfers over the years, some tour players all the way down through juniors and everybody's got deficiencies. I have yet to uh sure. take somebody through and have them pass every single mini assessment. And they're nothing it's nothing labor intensive, but it's it's crucial to identify where those deficiencies are. And I mean, I've had this this discussion with uh, my medical physiologists, you know, that this is something we probably should put everybody through because it's these deficiencies and these imbalances in the body that create misalignment in the body that lead to aches and pains and eventually arthritis. And that just leads up to shoulder replacement, knee replacement, hip replacement. So it's really important to, you know, keep balance within the musculoskeletal system. And that's really, I mean, a, a, a priority and really what a, a good golf assessment can do, a TPI assessment can do. So, yeah, it's important to find somebody who's certified, who knows what they're doing, and because it's really, it's not only your better golf game, but it's your your livelihood that you're talking about. Yeah, and, and, and the reason why I say that, and, and, you know, I've had these discussions on the show before with, with some of my fellow golf professionals. I mean, I'm not a certified fitness instructor and, you know, I can certainly uh, give some tips and things like that, but that's not where, um, where my expertise is. My expertise is um, in the area of, of golf instruction. So, uh, and many of the, the, my fellow pros, of course, align themselves or work with, with somebody such as yourself. And I've had others on the show as well uh, in your field. So we want to make sure that, that you're, you're going to the right source, um, because we certainly don't want you to go out and do something that's going to injure uh, or create, uh, create further problems. So, so uh, definitely seek out somebody that's, that's um, uh, experienced in this field and don't just read a bunch of stuff on the internet. Make sure that the person actually has the proper certifications uh, before you do that. Um, I, I want to talk about something as well, uh, and then we're going to kind of have a little bit of fun here. Um, you know, a common question we get, and, and I know obviously it's not uh, equipment can play a factor, but uh, a lot of golfers ask me, and I'm sure you hear it a lot in, in some of your dialogues, uh, they all want to know, is, you know, why am I losing distance? Um, obviously, as we get older, you know, certain things and uh, change in our bodies, but um, what's kind of the real reason? It's not, you know, people think, that, well, I've, you know, I, I'm, I've lost some muscle mass and I've lost this. I'm not as strong as I used to be, but really strength does not have anything to do with hitting the ball far. It, there's a lot of other factors involved. Um, in your opinion, based on your experience, what's some of the cause, uh, common causes that a lot of golfers out there are losing distance from a physical standpoint? Well, definitely number one, without a doubt, is uh, a lack of flexibility and range of motion. Uh, key, very key to uh, powering up your golf swing, getting your distance back, or increasing your distance. 
And, uh, I mean, as we get older, we naturally get tighter. You know, if we're inactive, we become, the muscles will become tighter. If you're active, the muscles will become tighter because when you strengthen muscle, you tighten muscle. And unfortunately, a lot of people um, neglect the flexibility part of a fitness program. You know, you got cardio, you got strength, and you got flexibility. And a lot of people focus on the cardio and the strength, and, you know, they don't really stretch. So, and they're doing themselves, <laughs> they're doing themselves, you know, more harm than good, to be honest with you, because again, right. you know, it's these, uh, you know, when you don't stretch, you, know, you get these imbalances in the body and it, it just wrecks havoc on the body. So that will detract from your ability to swing an efficient golf club, you know, to make that good shoulder turn, to initiate the downswing with the hips and all that kind of stuff. So definitely stretching is one. The second thing, as we get older, and everybody's going to, going to uh, incur this, is we face a condition called sarcopenia, which is an inevitable loss of muscle tissue, as you mentioned. And uh, it right. starts at the ripe old age of 30, and when you hit 50, mm. it just accelerates to the point where you're losing about a pound of muscle a year. Now, there's two types wow. of muscle fiber. You have, you have slow twitch and you have fast twitch muscle fiber. Uh, fast twitch is responsible for quick, explosive movements in the body. So you're going to use more fast twitch swinging a golf club because it takes, what, 1.2 seconds to swing a golf club. Unfortunately, right. most of the muscle tissue we lose as we get older is from the fast twitch family. <clears throat> so you're losing the muscle fibers that you need to perform short, quick bursts of energy. So if right. you don't do anything you know, you're going to lose this muscle fiber, and there's a reason why you're losing distance as you get older if you don't, if you don't combat that. So simple solution is, is to do resistance training, strength training, and you don't have to go crazy with it. You know, 15 minutes a day, three days a week will suffice. But at some point, you also want to work with your trainer to start to implement some power speed type exercises because that's the exercise that will help you recruit the faster twitch muscle fiber. So you need, definitely need to correct the imbalances. You need to get into a sport-specific strength program, and you know there are difference, differences in the type of exercise that you do for golf. And then don't stop there, but progress, and you got to – Crawl before you walk and then walk before you run. So correct the deficiencies, get into the strength exercises, and then at some point you can start to introduce the power and speed exercises to help you recruit those faster twitch muscle fibers, or at least the ones you have left. Right. Now, um, let me just ask you, obviously I'm in my, my 50s, and I can, I can definitely see a difference. You know, I keep myself pretty active, but – uh, obviously, you know, nature at some point takes over. Um, so uh, inevitably, obviously, we're, we're going to lose um, as, as age and, and time creeps up on us. We're going to lose a lot of that, that muscle. But there are things that we can do to slow the process down and not necessarily reverse it, but um, combat it, as you said, and, and some of the suggestions that you make. 
but inevitably there's going to come a point in time where um, you, you're not going to be able to outrun that that happening. Is that correct? That'd be safe to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When you get into your 80s and 90s, I mean, I'm 60, and uh, it's kind of funny because I play with these guys from uh, Greensboro, and uh, a couple of them are are younger than me, and they're you know not that I'm bragging or anything, but uh, you know I started playing golf with them again, and they're playing from the gold tees, and I'm like, what are you doing from the gold right. tees? And I'm like, well, we can't the ball as far. And I said, well, you know, age is not an excuse. They they don't really do anything. So I'm trying to convince them that they need to get into some exercise program. But age is no longer an excuse. I mean, these guys, I've worked with guys in their 80s. And I, you know, it's, and again, you know, once you identify and correct, and for a lot of those, for a lot of golfers, it is range of motion flexibility. And in a relatively short period of time, I'm talking like three, four weeks, you know, they're coming back saying, you know, I'm 10, 15, 20, you know, more yards down the fairway. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it will catch us, catch up to us at some point, but you can really slow that process down quite a bit if you get with somebody who knows what they're doing and takes you through a, a progressive program. Yeah, and and, I, and just to add to that, um, Bob, I know that it, what you talked about earlier, you know, a lot of, uh, and, and I'm going to throw the men under the bus because I think that we're more guilty about it than, than the, the ladies are, but, you know, we tend to work more on strength training uh, and and that area of, of fitness and even, um, uh, you know, cardio, which are certainly good and, and work hand in hand, um, but... I know for a fact that a lot of uh, folks out there don't work on the other aspects, the stretching and that. I mean, you know, you go into the gym and you'll see them, they'll maybe do one or two quick little stretches or even when they do a warm-up uh, at the golf course, you know, they'll do a, a quick little stretch that somebody showed them and, and then they're right away they're out there beating balls on the range or the practice tee getting ready uh, for their round and sometimes not even doing that. And then they wonder why they're not playing uh, as effectively. And I think this adds as a deterrent to a lot, especially some of our older golfers, uh, but even some of the younger ones as well uh, that might be in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, um, because they're not really preparing um, you know, to execute those shots by doing a good stretch and warm-up routine. So uh, just, again, and I know we don't have the benefit of, of the visual, and I'm, I'll certainly, again, we'll direct everybody to, to your website after the show to, to maybe follow up with this, but um, are there some things that, that golfers, and again, be mindful that many of the golfers out there today, uh, you know, we're all pretty busy. We don't have as much time. Are there some things that pre- and post-round that golfers can do that can, can help a little bit uh, to make things uh, better for them? Oh, definitely. Um you know, I mean, right before the round, the dynamic stretching, meaning there's movement involved, is good to loosen up the muscles and to, uh, you know, get you ready to go out there and play around the golf. I mean, uh, who was it, Jimenez, you know, with his videos of him doing his uh, dynamic stretches, uh, you know, people kind of comment about the way he performs that. But actually, those are good stretches to do. Uh, there's one good stretch on the uh, website called the uh, T-spine matrix, thoracic spine matrix, that uh, will basically warm up the entire upper body, the mid-back, the shoulders. You know, those are key areas, um, especially for making a good shoulder turn, you know, because most 
most range of motion uh, comes from the mid-spine, thoracic spine, not the lower spine. And then there's also some dynamic right. stretches you can do for the lower body as well. And the key also, Ted, is, you know, a lot of people or, or the people that do stretch before the round, you know, when you think mm-hmm. about a lot of public golf courses where five and six hours is kind of the norm, they should also stretch while they're out on the golf course waiting to hit their next shot. Yeah. And a lot of these, a lot of these stretches you can do on, you know, while you're waiting out there on the fairway. Uh, there's uh, there's a couple of videos of golf cart stretches you can do to keep you loose during the round because, you know, you stretch at the beginning, you, you hit a shot, you wait five minutes, you're going to tighten up out there. And that's when, uh, you know, you increase the potential for injury. So definitely stretch before and during. And, yeah, you can get the time, you know, in between your beers after to stretch afterwards as well. Yeah. And also, also two thing, I think that's something, and I'm sure you advise a lot of your, your clients uh, over the years. Um, I think another key element as well that a lot of people overlook is keeping yourself well hydrated um, throughout the round. It's amazing. You know, people don't think about it, you know, obviously down here in the South, we, we got a lot of heat down here, but even in, in climates that maybe uh, aren't as hot right now, maybe up in the Northeast that haven't uh, quite got up to those uh, steaming temperatures yet, um, you know, you get out there and play 18 holes of golf. You're out there, as you say, uh, depending on where you're playing, could be anywhere from four to six hours. Uh, and if you're not keeping yourself hydrated, uh, that's also put some stress and strain on, on the muscles as well, correct? Oh, gosh, yeah. And, you know, it's not just the temperature that you want to be mindful of. You definitely want to take into consideration the humidity levels uh, and the heat sure. index. The heat index is a combination of temperature and humidity. Because you don't really need high temperatures to get yourself into a situation where you may be dealing with uh, heat cramps and heat exhaustion. I mean, if you have a a day where it's in the mid-80s and the relative humidity is in the mid-80s to 90%, uh, that's going to put you at risk if you don't stay hydrated, like you say. And the problem is most of us are walking around in semi-states of dehydration anyway. So... What right. happens there is when you dehydrate, the the volume, the water volume, most of it is taken out of the blood. So the blood volume decreases, and the blood becomes, you know, kind of like oil versus water. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the blood that carries the oxygen and the nutrients around to the body. So if you have a you know less blood volume, you have less capacity to get the, that all-important oxygen to the, to the cells of the body. So what happens is fatigue sets in uh, in some other fun stuff if you really kind of let it go. So it's important to make sure that you drink as much water as you can. Um, you know, the electrolyte drinks when you sweat. If you're a big sweater, I'm a big sweater. So uh, you lose a lot of electrolytes, you know, your potassium, your, cal- uh, your magnesium, your, your sodium. And so uh, when you lose enough of the electrolytes, it can kind of mess up the electrical system in your body and your body can start cramping up and all that kind of fun stuff. So, you know, the, the sport drinks are good. You know, the Gatorades, the Powerades, they'll definitely replenish the electrolytes. You just got to read labels because a lot of them have uh, high sugar content. You know, another option is there's a bunch of electrolyte tablets out there. Noon is one of them. 
that you just kind of plop the tablet in the water, and it's like Alka-Seltzer. It fizzes, and you get all the electrolyte replacement, and in many cases, without the sugar. So there are definitely options out there to help you stay hydrated, and, you know, that's very important. Yeah, and, and the reason why I mention that, and, and you know, I certainly don't want to burst anybody's bubble. Uh, you know, I'm all for having a, a, a cold, refreshing uh, beer or, or whatever your your drink of choice is around. Uh, you know, during the run, you obviously want to go out and have some fun. Um, but as you just pointed out, when you get out to a situation where you've got uh, a, you know heat index and uh, humidity and that to deal with. Uh, you also have to, you know, you're already at risk anyways, and then you compound it with, with alcohol, uh, of course, that dehydrates even further. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying don't have a drink, uh, a beer or two during your round, but make sure you're also high. That's not going to hydrate you. That's going to have the opposite effect. Um, so you want to make sure you're drinking some water uh, and and making sure that you're getting a, a little something to eat throughout your round. Um, you know, Nicholas, Nicholas famously um, talked about in his uh, video Golf My Way several years ago about how he uh, kind of packs some snacks, if you will, uh, throughout his round so that that gives him energy, uh, you know, throughout the 18 holes because it's amazing how much energy and hydration, uh, you know, dehydration happens during a, an 18 hole uh, game. And, you know, the average amateur out there gets in a mindset where they're wanting to go out and have fun and there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, you know, you've got to be mindful for some of these things because it's not only uh, can it affect your round, but you can create uh, other issues, especially if it's done on a continual basis uh, throughout the summer. Uh, you can set yourself up for some uh, worse times down the road, and, and this is where you want to make sure that you're speaking with somebody that's skilled uh, in, in, in uh, as I said, fitness and that that can sort of guide you uh, and, and better prepare you. We're not trying to say don't have some fun, but, um, you know, you need to be smart about it as well. Hey, hey, I'm one to have a PBR out there while I'm out there uh, golfing as well. But, uh, you know, another thing with that on the nutrition side of it is that, uh, yeah, I mean, you're out there four, five, six hours, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize the energy output in swinging a golf club, you know, 90, 100, 120 times plus practice swings and plus a bucket of balls before you go out. So, you know, the snacks are good, and uh, things like a little PB&J is good because it gives you that carbohydrate that the body wants to utilize with activity, plus it gives you some protein which will slow the ingestion of sugar into the bloodstream so that it lasts longer versus just having something that's a carbohydrate which will kind of get in and get out. So, uh, yeah, look for those uh, energy bars that have some protein in them and stuff like that, and you should be good to go. Yeah, and, and lay off the, uh, the chili dogs and, and uh, you know, the greasy French fries during the round and, and this sort of thing. You know, certainly, uh, you know, I don't want to be jumping on my high horse here and, and uh, saying you can't, uh, you know, you can't eat these things at all, but um, definitely not the best thing to be eating if you want to do your best. And the reason why I say this and why I want to talk about these things on the show, and I, I've mentioned it many times before, is you know, we as a golf instructor, and, and I'm sure many of my peers, Bob, have been faced with the same questions. Well, what can I do for this, and what can I do for that? And you know, they're always looking for a quick fix. And the truth of the matter is, if you want to become a better player, um, you know, don't look for the quick fixes. Um, because they're not going to help you in the long run. Um, 
you're, you're asking for a Band-Aid um, when maybe you need, you know, major surgery. So, you know, I, I try to provide tips on the show that, that I and, – and sometimes they're hidden in messages and sometimes they're hidden in the dialogue that we talk about here. But I want people to really tune in and listen um, to some of the things that we're talking about on, on the show, um, not just tonight but in other shows as well. Um, so that people understand that there's more to the game than just hitting uh, a well-struck golf shot. There's other areas. There's the fitness side. There's the nutritional side. Um, and, and, of course, there's actually playing the game, not just out on the, the practice tee. And I think that a lot of instructors get faced with the same problems, and, and I'm sure you see it as well in, in your side of the things, uh, where a lot of folks you know, want this sort of magic solution or, or elixir, if you will, uh, to improve their golf game. Um, but they don't always follow through with some of the suggestions that we make to them. So this is why I keep hammering these things home and, and having great guests like yourself, Bob, come on the show to talk about these things because this is an important part of the game as well. It's not just about hitting, as I said, great golf shots. It's about taking yourself, preparing yourself uh, mentally and physically um, for that great round, and, and you'll have great rounds if you do that. Um, let's have a little bit of fun, and let's talk about um, Rory McIlroy. Uh, you uh, sent me one of the one of the points that we're going to talk about tonight uh, and in the form of a question is, is Rory uh, lifting too much? Talk about what you mean by that, um, that statement. And then um, if you agree that he is, uh, why you think he is? Well, yeah, I mean, there seems to be a debate going on, you know, about some of these uh, pro golfers that are getting into the gym and, uh, you know, hitting the weights pretty heavy. And, uh, you know, I think, there's definitely a window that you want to stay within, especially for golf. Uh, you definitely want to work on some golf specific strength exercises. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I may be in the camp of, uh, you know, uh, Chambly, not Chambly, uh, the announcer on the golf uh, that says no. that Rory might be. Uh, Frank Noblo. Pablo and there are a couple others, but anyway, I think I'm in the camp that he may be lifting too much. Um, you know, and, and you know, obviously his performance hasn't been there over the past uh, uh, year or so. Um, I think there's definitely a limit. Uh, it's important to get into the gym. You know what you were saying about it, it, you know you're just going to enjoy the game more because you will hit the ball better further. Uh, you will score better. Uh, you won't hurt as, you know, uh, the day after or, uh, you know, and even some good um, golf fitness instructors can help you alleviate the aches and the pains. But I think with golf, you know, you definitely want to get into the weights. Uh, you just don't want to go crazy with them. And I think Rory, I think, got a little bit too crazy with them. Um, you know, because, again, when you strengthen muscle, you tighten muscle, so the more you kind of get into the, the heavy lifting, the more you definitely want to make sure that you're doing the stretching. Now, I don't know if I'm sure he's doing a lot of range of motion stretching stuff, but uh, I think, you know, uh, yeah, I'm in the camp where I think he, he's just doing a little bit too much. Yeah, and, you know, I remember, uh, you know, when, when Ty, as an example, when Tiger first came out on the tour, you know, obviously he was uh, very lean and, and very lanky and, and uh, you know, over time he got into a, a very regimented workout and uh, it, it was very evident in, in uh, you know, really short time that he, he bulked up. And there was a point uh, 
where I felt, and again, I'm certainly not a fitness expert, but where in my opinion, I think he, he got a little bit too bulked up. Um, and, and golf is different. You know, it's not like some other sports, uh, you know, whether it be football or, uh, or, or even baseball a little bit where you can, where you can be a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit bulkier, but, uh, in golf there, there comes a, there's a threshold, as you pointed out, if you get too, uh, you know, bulked up or muscular, uh, it can actually impede, especially in areas like the short game, uh, because the muscles kind of get in, in the way. And that's why you don't see a lot of bodybuilders uh, out on the golf course, um, you know, successfully uh, uh, playing, you know, on the PGA Tour, because uh, their muscles just get to the point where they actually impede a good rotation and, and so forth. So, um, you know, I, no, I agree. It's, and, and, it's such a right? finite activity. I mean, there's so many things going on in the body in a single golf swing. And, um, you know, it, it's, your body needs to be conditioned to accomplish that. And you need to have good balance and you need to have good range of motion and flexibility. But, yeah, I think if you go too far over to the right with the, you know, the lifting, I think that it can impact any one, uh, you know, any one degree of that of that movement pattern, and you know, golf. If you just change one thing a degree, it can screw up your whole swing. So I think yep. you know, you, you definitely need to be conditioned. You, the muscles need to be strong enough, uh, but I don't think you need to really add too much bulk. Now, the thing with Tiger, and I think we've had this discussion before about Tiger, and yep. I think there's other players on the tour that kind of fall into this category you don't hear too much about, especially with the injuries, is that, you know, we're coming, well, we're probably still in it, but, you know, this this age of specialization where kids are playing one sport and one sport only all year long, you know, since they're young. And what happens when you do that is you develop a particular set of muscle groups in a particular movement pattern and in golf, I mean, you're swinging a club from one side over and over and over again. And, uh, I mean, for every swing we take from the right side, we should ideally take one from the left to keep balance in the body. But that doesn't happen. So over time, you develop these imbalances that, as we talked about previous, leads to misalignment, which eventually leads yeah. to injury. And so I think, you know, with, you know, Tiger and, you know, Michelle Wee and, uh, you know, even uh, Sergio, even Phil with the back a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I think it, it just leads up to the potential for injury. And that's another re- good reason to make sure you get to somebody who knows what they're doing about, uh, knows what they're doing, and go through a screen so that they can identify where you are out of whack and so that they can kind of correct you and bring you back into balance. Yeah, I, and I agree with that. And, you know, there, there's so many things, you know, obviously Tiger's really struggling right now. You know, he's, he's, he's had some, obviously some injuries. Uh, he's been very athletic for, for many, many years. And when you're, you know, when you're an athlete like he is and you sustain a lot of these injuries, uh, it's very difficult. And especially golf, because you're, you're generating a lot of torque uh, in your body. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be, a, I don't like to predict people's futures, but um, there's going to come a point in time he's going to have to make a decision whether he wants to keep going down this path or not, because 
you know, he's had, I think the, the count now, if I'm not mistaken, is three or maybe four uh, back operations. Of course, he had the, the knee operation, I think, a couple times. Um, and for him to be able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish at that level, um, uh, and I'm sure he's had this conversation to himself, I would assume he has, but there's going to come a point in time where, you know, inside Tiger, he's going to have to have that conversation. Um, if I continue down this path and continue um, sustaining these injuries, um, you know, is it going to get to a point, and it probably already is on some level, uh, where it's going to be permanent? Um, yeah. Yep. And, you know, I, I look at it this way, you know, even if Tiger, and I'm not saying that he needs to go and retire tomorrow, but um, he needs to really, given given the fact that he's had substantial injuries here uh, of late over the last few years, there's going to come a point in time that if he doesn't make that decision, uh, he's going to really pay for it. And I'm sure on some level he, he will anyways uh, down the road well, he, um, when he does. for it already. Sure. Yeah, on on some level, but he's still yeah he's still pretty healthy. And I'm not talking about his golf game. I'm just talking about physically. I know people that have yeah. uh, sustained oh, yeah. injuries earlier on, and they kept pushing through these injuries and you know surgeries later and and that sort of thing. And then you know when they get into some later uh, points in their life, you know suddenly they're uh, inflicted with uh, you know a lot of arthritis and things like that, and they're just miserable. And yeah. I would hate to see that for him. Tiger, you know, Tiger has accomplished so much already that if he walked away from the game uh, tomorrow, yeah, he may not get Nicholas's, uh, you know, uh, major record. Uh, he may not break that, but he's accomplished so much already in his career that he certainly would have nothing to be ashamed of. And I don't think anybody with half a brain would begrudge him doing that if they considered what he's potentially going to do to himself if he keeps going down this path. And that's just my thought. Yes. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. And, you know, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, whether it's golf, whether you play tennis, whether you participate in other activities, or even if you're just interested in general overall health, you want to be pain-free. And the important thing there is, I mean, again, I've been in this field for a long time, is you've got to make sure that your body, your musculoskeletal system is in balance. That is so important for whatever activity you participate in, or you just want to feel good. Uh, and it's important to make sure, and that's what exercise should, should be doing for you. It should be keeping you in balance, you know, not being able to stand on one foot for 10 seconds, but keeping you, the musculoskeletal system in balance so that you move efficiently and so that you keep the body in alignment so that you don't create these aches and pains that unfortunately a lot of people suffer from. I mean, the low back yeah, and, and your prime example. Yeah, lower back is, is something that a lot of golfers, uh, you know, some of us have been pretty lucky. I, I've, uh, you know, touch wood. I'm looking for some wood here. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate that uh, I've had very, very little issues with my back. Um, you know, occasionally I've pulled a muscle here and there, but very, very uh, limited and, and um and, and I know others that are, you know, have chronic back issues, and I understand that some some of it can be a little bit hereditary in that. But um, I've been very very blessed in that area. But um, you know, that's something that golfers need to be careful of, and, and doing some of the things that you talked about earlier uh, can help. 
you know, making sure that you're uh, stretching properly, um, you know, your whole body, not just uh, certain parts of your body, but all of your body, make sure you're getting some good stretches in um, uh, both before and even after the round a little bit. And there's times, you know, when you're at home, there's no excuse. You don't need to go to the gym to do it. There's a lot of stretches that you can do. Um, Bob, I want to thank you for coming on. We, we're just winding down here the last minute or two, so I want to give you an opportunity to, uh, again, let the folks know where they can um, – visit uh, your website and maybe reach out to you if they're interested and not just the uh, general audience tuning in here, but I know there's a lot of uh, uh, golf professionals that tune into the show. Maybe if they're interested in working with you or uh, getting some, some good tips and advice from you, uh, maybe uh, there's a relationship here that can be developed. So uh, how can they do that and um, how can they get in touch with you? Well, sure. Yeah. Thanks, Ted. And uh, we were just getting going there. <laughs> I'd like to talk some I more, know. especially you know, especially we just tapped in the low back and you're talking about muscle and balance. So that's for another show. But, you know, that's, again, sure. you know, you know, a lot of times the, the muscle, the mechanism that leads up to back issues is over often overlooked, and that's the muscle imbalance. But anyway, um, yes, uh, they can go to my website. Uh, as you mentioned, it's Golf Fit Carolina, 1F1T, G-O-L-F-I-T, Carolina. There's a bunch of articles on there. You know, there's a section. I got a module about swing physiology and uh, swing faults and the correlations to the physical deficiencies to those swing faults and what people can do, how what they can do to correct those deficiencies. Uh, I have a book. It's called Functional Golf Fitness Training. And they can find that on Amazon or at the Book Patch, you know, the hard copies at the Book Patch. I've had a lot of uh, teaching professionals uh, write me uh, and, uh, you know, about the book because they found it to be a good teaching tool. They've added, a, you know, a lot of the information in the book, and it's an easy read, but it kind of gets into the more common deficiencies that I've seen in golfers over the years how you can assess, and then how you can correct those deficiencies. So it's functional golf fitness training uh, at the book patch or Amazon. And then, uh, you know, I love talking about this this topic, as you, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if people want to call um, at 336-509-4610, and as you mentioned, my email is bob at golffitcarolina.com. Perfect. Um, Bob, we'll definitely have you back uh, on the show uh, for sure. We'll continue this conversation. Uh, it, you know, it's one that really there, there's so many variables that, that uh, we can have. And I don't think, um, I'm not sure how long you've had the book out for. Um, I would love, if, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, I would love if, if you've got an extra copy that you could send my way, I would love that. And I can email you my uh, my address and that. Um, if you've got an yeah, extra one, if not, uh, I'll, I'll... But... Um, but uh, Bob, it's been a pleasure as always, and, and I'm glad to have you back on the show. I've, I've you know, it was funny um, as I mentioned earlier, folks. Uh, you know, Bob had reached out here recently through through social media, and literally, I think it was about a day before, or maybe two days before, you had actually sent a, a note through. I was actually thinking about you. I thought, Bob, Bob hasn't been on the show for a while, and, and here you are. So. Uh, I was glad that you reached out and and uh, that we reconnected. So, um, Bob, you're always welcome to come on the show. You know that, and I may, uh, if your schedule permits, I may even squeeze you in if if you're willing to get into a, maybe some coach's corner again. I know you've been on that before. Uh, we'd love to get your thoughts and insight into some of the, uh, the discussions that we have. So, if you're available, um, I'll, I'll send you a copy mm-hmm. of the schedule, and you can let me know if if that works. But um, 
Bob, thank you as always for, for joining me on the show. Uh, again, it's always a pleasure. I enjoy our conversations. And uh, I will uh, uh, send you an email with, uh, with my uh, address and so forth. But uh, if you've got an extra copy, I'd, I'd certainly love it. But um, welcome I'll back definitely. anytime. And, and, uh, I'll and definitely I, send I appreciate you. Uh, for... Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely send you a copy. And uh, it's been a pleasure. I enjoy this. I mean, it's, a, it's good information to get out to the, you know, to the public and to the professional levels because it's important. And it definitely will help them not only in golf, but in just the way they feel. So I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about it. Anytime. That's what the show is all about, is is sharing, exchanging information with not just uh, the general audience out there, but also uh, my fellow uh, golf professionals, um, instructors, um, coaches, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, this is how we exchange information uh, on the program and, and help uh, a lot of the golfers out there that maybe are struggling. Uh, these are some things and tips that they can uh, take with them and, and uh, uh, get more enjoyment and fulfillment out of the game. So uh, on that note, Bob, thank you very much again for joining me on the show tonight. And uh, uh, I'll be in touch with you shortly. And I look forward to having you come back on again, and we'll continue the conversation. Have a great weekend. That'll be, yeah, that'll be great. You too. Thanks, Ted. All right. All right, that was uh, my very special guest, Bob Foreman, uh, certified uh, golf fitness instructor. And uh, again, he's been on the show many, many times. Also, a special thank you to John Decker and Brandon Stukesbury uh, for rounding out the Coach's Corner panel tonight. Did a great job, as, as uh, mentioned, guys. And I uh, appreciate all of your thoughts and input into the show as well. And I want to, of course, thank, uh, take this opportunity to thank all the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in to Golf Talk Live each and every week. And it's with great guests like Bob and John and Brandon um, on the show that uh, really um, have helped to make uh, this show uh, a fantastic one, in my opinion. And uh, they're just some great coaches and and teach professionals and authors and and entrepreneurs and and fitness instructors. Uh, And it's really them stopping by that that helped to make the show um, first class. And a special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters of the show, Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com uh, to get a copy of your uh, guide. It's some great golf uh, courses here in the southeastern part of the United States. Meredith Kirk. Go to uh, meredithkirk.com. Uh, Nick and Tif- Nikki and Tiffany Litherlin, thanks for all of your help spreading the word. Mr. Bernie Pinder from onticgolf.com. Uh, check his uh, site out as well. Great custom customized uh, putters there. Uh, Sean Kelly, uh, owner of linkedgolfers.com, and of course, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions uh, over in Ireland. Thank you, my friend, for uh, always being a loyal follower and supporter of the show. And on that note, I will see you next Thursday. Uh, I believe it's June 29th at 6 p.m. Central right here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend, and God bless.